Matthew chapter 7, starting at verse 13, Jesus is speaking here and he says, Enter in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many, everybody say many, many there be which go in that way. Verse 14, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leads to life and few find it. Well, that's just encouraging, isn't it? <laughs> anyway, from this <laughs> passage today, I want to talk to us uh, from this subject. I want to title balance. Look at somebody and say balance. Uh, let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence that's here. And God, I thank you for every person that is gathered here today. And we ask, Lord, that as we get into your word and we talk about it and we study it, Lord, I pray that it would do what your word does. Turn the light on in our heart, in our mind. Illuminate our heart, in our mind. Let us see, God, what you are desiring to speak to us today, we ask. Meet with us. Move in our midst, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Anybody ever had vertigo? Yeah, so I, I know some people that have had it. It's rough. I don't want it. Anyone ever just kind of been lounging on the couch on a Saturday and you've been there for like several hours and then you're like, oh, I'm thirsty. And you like jump up real quick to go to the fridge. Next thing you know, what you see is what, you know, the TV looked like when there's no channels. You're just like, you know what I'm talking about? Just the, the black and white pixelation. It's just awful. Yeah, that, that's rough. And you're, you got to hold on to something. You got to stop for a second because you can't even see where you're going. And that could get real bad real fast. Uh, balance is real important. Um, you know, the, what, what the merry-go-round uh, on the playground as, as kids, you know, spin around as fast as you can. Just keep going faster and faster and faster. And somehow when you're a kid, like you, you could do that and then just get off and kind of stagger for a moment and be fine. But the older you get and you go around once, you're like, all right, I'm done, done. You know, I'm, I'm spinning Everett around when he's, when he was just, you know, like two, three years old. I don't know if that's a good thing or not, but, uh, anyway, and, uh, you know, he's like, do it again, dad. I'm like, I can't, I got to sit down, uh, so balance is something that's absolutely important uh, in the physical uh, because without balance, you can't walk. And if you can't walk, you really can't go anywhere. And, um, and so balance is very important, but uh, so it is spiritually. Balance is absolutely vital spiritually. Um, we're not talking about uh, when we say balance as in don't be... Um, <clears throat> don't be zealous for God or, or don't be passionate about God. And when we're talking about spiritual balance, uh, the scripture isn't talking about, well, you know, serve God, but don't serve him too much. <laughs> Live for God, but don't give him too much of your life because you gotta have balance. No, that's not what it's talking about. But, but this idea of balance uh, in scripture, Jesus is talking about here and we see portrayed by Jesus in the Gospels and then in the letters that the apostles wrote, like uh, Paul and Peter and such. When they're talking about balance, it is a spiritual balance, but the ideas 
of this spiritual balance are uh, something that I think we need to make sure we have a firm grasp on uh, in this day and age. Because Jesus here says, enter in at the straight gate. So we know here by this that Jesus is telling us which gate to enter in by. The straight gate is the gate you want to go through. Uh, because he says the wide gate and the broad way leads to destruction. So all paths and all roads do not lead to God. There is one gate and there is one way that leads to life. It is a straight gate and it is a narrow way. Now, Jesus tells us what it is. So we don't have to question or, or search in the sense of, well, he kind of made it vague for people to figure out what leads to life. No, he made it very plain. But the fact is, is that there is this other aspect at work in the world and in our day and age. It's been that way for thousands of years. And you've got a couple things at work here. You've got the human will, you've got deception, and you've got all these voices and forces at work, and it will blur people's faith and spiritual eyesight so that when we're looking at the way that leads to life, it doesn't look the way that we think it ought to look, or it looks in a way that we're like, there's not many people going that way, so that can't be right. I had somebody ask me a couple weeks ago in this recently about a couple things that I believe in Scripture that's not common in the sense of not everybody out there believes it. And they said, don't you think there's safety in numbers? Because the majority of people believe this. And so you know, there is a, there's a safety and strength in numbers. And I, I, I didn't really go off on that rabbit trail of discussion. I stayed focused on the question. But the point is, is just because everybody's doing it doesn't mean it's right. And just because... A lot of people believe something doesn't mean it's right. I know that sounds challenging to our mindset in the 21st century. And it sounds harsh in one regard. Because how, you know, from one perspective, if, if, if you miss it, you're like, well, that person's full of themselves to make such a bold statement and I can understand, yes, that is a bold statement, but Jesus made bold statements. And uh, I'm not equating myself with Jesus, but I am trying to follow him. And I want to make sure in my life that I listen to what he said and obey what's found in this word because I believe that the Bible is the inspired, infallible word of God. And it has the words of life. It tells me where the straight gate is. It tells me how to enter in through it, and it shows me that narrow way. Um, so it, it's very interesting in those regards. 
The book of Acts, which is the first book in the Bible that records the activity, lifestyle, teachings, and behavior of the early church. Now, the early church is just a very basic term that describes uh, the group of people that were the first uh, fruits, if you will, of the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus made a statement, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not withstand it. And we see theologians from whatever background you pick, they all agree Acts 2 is the beginning or the birth of the church of Jesus Christ. It all started, the, the fulfillment of the promise of God came to pass when they're gathered in an upper room uh, in, in an area in Jerusalem, might have been the temple, might not have been, but it was a place in Jerusalem that they had agreed to meet and they would meet there and they would pray. And on a specific day, and uh, it's a Jewish feast known as the Feast of Passover, P Feast of Pentecost, Day of Pentecost, they're gathered there praying and the Holy Spirit of God fills the room and they begin to respond to the presence of God that is filling the room. And the presence of God, uh, signified by uh, a fire, sits on each of them. And it says they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And then a little bit later, Peter goes out and preaches to thousands of people. They hear the gospel, they believe it, and they are also baptized. Everybody agrees on that. That's the birth or the beginning of the church. And the rest of the book of Acts uh, it records the early church, the first group of people that are a part of the church in the known world, what they believed, how they lived, what they taught, and how they behaved. And they simply referred to themselves as the way. That's it. The way. This group of Christians, Jesus followers, referred to themselves as the way. Not a way. The way. Um, that's another thing scholars agree on, and you find the clues of it all throughout the book of Acts, several different places. The way. A member of the way. You're a part of the way. What is this the way? That's what they referred to themselves. That was the first name of, that was the first church name out there. The way. They called themselves that. Now, uh, with that in mind, um, that wasn't original with them. They got it from what Jesus declared to them in John 14. He said, I am the way. He said, where I'm going, you cannot go yet, but you will come because I, I will come back for you that where I am, there you may be also. Heaven, this this place, this restoration of things that are fallen that trace all the way back to the Garden of Eden, and, and that's another great story that we don't have time for today. But it's a narrative from there all the way to the end of, of the Bible of how God is at work to restore what was broken. So you got to follow the narrative all the way through. And, and so Jesus here, God manifest in the flesh, is telling them, I've come here to do this, this, and this. Make it possible that where I am, there you may be also. One of his disciples said, how can we go where you're going? Because we don't even know the way. And Jesus looked at him square in the eye and said, I am the way. I am the way. 
You see, it is hard for humanity to understand things that are foreign to our fallen mindset without a good example. Man, you know, everybody receives instructions differently and everybody has uh, a different way of learning, but man, I would much rather somebody show me how to do something than me have to read through an instruction manual. Oh, you know, it is just so challenging. Just show me how to do it. That's what God did in Jesus Christ. Mankind, humanity wasn't able to fully grasp what is pleasing to God. Man wasn't fully capable of seeing the way and living according to the way. And so God manifests himself in flesh to show us the way. His life, his words, his actions, everything about Jesus points to the way. So it's very simple in one regard. You just have to see Jesus. You just have to look at his life. You just have to obey his words because he is the narrow way. He is the narrow way. I am the way, the truth, the life. So kind of just piecing it all together here today. This, this way It's a balancing act because it's a narrow way and it's like on each side of the narrow way are pitfalls. Go far too far left, you're off the way. You go too far right, you're off the way. <laughs> this will mess with us. You go too far liberal, you're off the way. You go too far conservative, you're off the way. Because Jesus was just right in the middle. Straight is the gate, narrow is the way. Well, say this is the narrow way. There's a left side and there's a right side. So how do you stay balanced because we as people we feel the pull to go on this side and we feel the pull to go on this side and according to our human mindset experiences upbringings or preferences we may prefer to gravitate more to the left or we may prefer to gravitate more to the right but Jesus did not say that the right leads to life and Jesus did not say that the left leads to life he said straight is the gate and narrow is the way Jesus's disciples <laughs> we'll have fun with this we're not all Democrats Jesus's disciples were not all Republicans Jesus's disciples weren't even very good Christians they weren't even good Jews they were Jews they, they, they had this uh, uh, Jew, uh, Jewish upbringing and, and all of that in the teaching was correct, of, of course, because Jesus is the fulfillment of those things. But uh, their mindsets were all over the place. 
You had a Jew who worked for Rome to take your money. And then the other 11 disciples had to get along with this guy. That's rude. That's just, I mean, Jesus is asking for a church split. He has another one who is a zealot whose job is to kill Romans. He's got James Bond in, as his disciple. What is Jesus thinking? And then he's got, uh, you know, then he's got a guy who just is, loves money and he'll do whatever for money. Judas, and he betrayed him. And Jesus still brought him in to his inner circle of 12. Because Jesus had more disciples than just the 12, but the Bible says he chose those 12 to be his apostles and such. And so, um, so there's this, this balancing act. Jesus has people following him from this side and from this side, and he is trying to bring them both onto the narrow way. So if we're to be like Jesus, we should also be doing the great balancing act, staying right in the middle and we cannot gravitate to the left and we cannot gravitate to the right. We have to stay straight. What is, so, so, so how do we as people who desire uh, to honor God and, and to lead others to him, our job is to reach to the left and to the right. But as we're reaching, we cannot afford to get pulled off course. Well, there's a lot of people on the left and there's a lot of people on the right and there's very few on the straight and narrow way. So maybe because there's not as many people on the straight and narrow way as there are on the left and the right, maybe the straight and narrow way is wrong. That's not true. Jesus said, straight is the gate, narrow is the way that leads to life and few will find it. We say, well, what is few? Well, just say one bit, just take the uh, population of the earth right now and uh, seven and a half billion or so and just say one billion find the straight gate narrow way. That's few in compared to the other six and a half billion that don't, okay? And that's just the reality of these things of what Jesus teaches us. And so few find the narrow way. We, as people who profess to believe in Jesus and want to follow him and want to obey his word and, 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 and all of those things, we have a responsibility that if we're following Jesus, the only way we can truly follow him is on the narrow way because he is the way. So you can't follow him from the pit on the right and you can't follow him from the pit on the left. Our mind has to be transformed. It's a balancing act. So what is this? What is the balance? What keeps us balanced? Love and truth. Love and truth. If you go too far with love, there's no truth. Because, well, who am I to say that your truth is... Uh, not valid. Well, Jesus makes it simple for us again. I am the way, 
I'm also the truth. And so if you go too far with love, then there's nothing to answer to, which is truth. But if you go too far with truth and there's no love, everything's condemned and even yourself because you're no longer on the narrow way. So it's this balancing act of having one hand on love and one hand on truth. What does this look like? You want to see what that looks like. What does the narrow way look like? It looks like the cross. Jesus showing us one hand on this side and one hand on this side and one man hanging on the cross on one side of him mocked Jesus and didn't believe and one man on one side of Jesus believed and so we see this aspect. You can't reach everybody. Not everyone will believe but if you stand as a child of God with this posture, You can reach somebody, but you have to stay grounded in the middle. This is the narrow way. And I know that I'm hanging on Jesus. I know that I'm hanging on the cross and all my followers have left me except for two. But this is still the way. This is still the way. Love and truth. Love and truth. And, and, And we see an example of Jesus portraying this demonstrating this to us in the story of the woman in John 8, I believe, who was caught in the act of adultery. And uh, the religious people, the right, the righteous in their own mind, we caught this woman doing something bad. And the law says stone her. So they take her and they drag her and they toss her at the feet of Jesus and they start quoting the law instantly. The word says, boom, 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 boom. Jesus doesn't fall prey to the effects of this group of people who have no love and just want to exercise truth. But exercising truth without love is trying to exercise truth with the wrong motive. So motive matters. So it doesn't matter how much scripture you can quote. If you quote it from the wrong spirit, you uh, then are no longer representing the pure word of God. Because God is love and God is truth. And so you have to have both at work here. And so she's there, obviously embarrassed and ashamed and just in an awful moment. And Jesus doesn't respond to uh, these religious leaders. We know that he he writes something in the sand. We don't know what he writes. You can speculate. But uh, whatever he was doing, he was obviously pausing for dramatic effect and just ignoring these people. He might have been so annoyed with them that he was counting to ten so that he could be angry but sin not. Because, you know, we know Jesus was without sin. So, anyway, I'm, you know, it's just like, count to ten. One, two, three, four. I will not zap them with lightning. I will not. I'm teasing. I don't know. We don't know what he was doing. But, uh, obviously, he, he's not fall, falling into the trap or the pit of this side. And then, finally, he looks up at them. And, you know, I, I, I could, you could almost picture it like he's not even addressing them like by looking them in the eye it could almost be like 
and you have to go back and read the story in John 8, but just the way it all reads, it's just like, you know, you who are without sin, you go ahead and cast the first stone. Well, man, these people of truth were just bombarded with the truth. <laughs> ah, don't you hate it when people use, you know, your own words against you? <laughs> you want to talk about the law? Mm. You who are without sin cast the first stone. In that moment, Jesus is demonstrating love because truth is no good if it's not spoken or lived out in love. And so Jesus does that. Well, they all drop their stones and walk away. And so now Jesus addresses the woman caught in the act of adultery. It'd be nice if they would write down their names so we could stop describing people based off of their flaws or imperfections. Blind Bartimaeus, we still call him that, even though his name is literally Bartimaeus. The woman caught in the act of adultery, they could have at least given her a fake name if they didn't want to reveal her identity so that we could, we could stop calling her by her past. Wouldn't that be awful if we all called each other by our past? I'm out. I'm leaving. Bye. <laughs> I will not be back next Sunday. Uh, wouldn't it be awful? Just at, but that we do that. We do that to people in the Bible. Uh, and, and mentally sometimes we probably do that to each other. And, and, and so that, but that, that's, not, that's not right. And so Jesus finally looks at her and he says, Woman, where, where are all your accusers? She said, I don't know. They're gone. And he said, well, neither do I condemn you, love. And then he says, go and sin no more. Truth. I'm not, I'm not going to condemn you. What you did was wrong but I don't condemn you and how do we know that he does not um, validate her actions because he follows up his love with truth go and sin no more what you did was sin but I, I don't condemn you go live your life and don't do that anymore love and truth love all love and no truth just looks like it's okay I understand I don't condemn you and keep doing what you're doing well that's not true love anyway but all truth is you messed up once you die there's no love neither of those reflect Jesus so the church can't be like that either. We can't be all love where we have no truth and we don't answer to anything, but we also can't be all truth and no love and we're just using the Bible as a sword to cut and hack and, and attack. So the narrow way, one hand on love, one hand on truth. Paul talks about it in Ephesians, I believe. He talks about it in two different areas, being rooted and grounded in love. Because if you're rooted in love, you will produce fruit full of love. And then he also talks about speaking the truth 
in love. If you speak the truth, but you don't speak it in love, you are not reflecting Jesus and you have fallen into a pit. But if all you do is want to speak love, but no truth that doesn't produce any call or conviction for change, you're also not reflecting Jesus and you've fallen into a pit. So this balancing act that we're called to, why is it a narrow way that few find? Because not many people want to live their life like this. That's why Jesus said, if any man come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. One of the greatest challenges any person that desires to live for Jesus, follow Jesus, be a Christian, will face is this balancing act of love and truth, living their life wide open, stretched out like this. But that is the pattern Jesus exampled for us, and that is what he called us to do, take up our cross and follow him. One hand on love, one hand on truth, not straying too far to the left and not straying too far to the right, right down the middle, just like our Lord and Savior. And if we stay in that way, we know we will find life because he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. So our prayer today must be, Lord, help me to stay balanced in love and truth. That no, I don't, I don't permit sin in my life and I don't approve of sin, things that are displeasing to you, God, in other people's lives or in this nation. I don't approve of that, but I'm also not going to be uh, ugly and unkind and unloving in the truth that I live. I stay right here. I stay right here. Because if we stay like this, people will see the difference. But the reason why people get a bad taste of Christians in their mouth is because they had an encounter with Christians that were in the pit on the left or were in the pit on the right. But we cannot be those people. We've got to stay right here because this is where Jesus stayed.